Have you been wondering how to get into the short-term rental business by listing your properties on sites such as Airbnb? Then you're in luck. Rich Monroe of Diamond Edge Properties is going to tell you how to be successful in listing your rental properties. Rich is in the short-term rental market in the Atlanta area. He has researched and studied how to profit off the short-term rental market, and he's going to share his insight with you so you can use the same strategies for your properties. Rich will go into detail discussing how to check for the laws and regulations for each city and county to make sure short-term rentals are allowed in your areas and what to do if that law ever changes. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Robert Show. This, this is The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Rich. Welcome to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about your investing experience and what assets you're in today. Absolutely, Joe. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to uh, chat about some of the options that we've discovered in the real estate space that are quite valuable. But you know, my background is, is mainly in the consumer debt buying space. It's kind of where my career started um, back in the uh, early 2000s, um, even before that in the early 90s when consumer debt was really uh, starting out in terms of um, banks being more comfortable selling and buying all types of consumer debt. Uh, so I, I kind of grew up in that uh, arena, um, buying and selling credit card debt, auto portfolio debt. And then in 08, like everybody else, we got hit um, pretty hard. And, and basically, a lot of the banks started stop stop selling a lot of their consumer debt, which kind of shut down a lot of the volume for that space. And being very actively involved at the time with the legislative efforts and um, uh, kind of a uh, main, main board member on one of the debt buying associations and ended up being the president before I left. Uh, we knew, we kind of saw the writing on the, on the wall. So we started to pivot um, back in 2009, 2010 over to tax lien investing, which is a very similar component to consumer debt, but uh, obviously giving you a senior position uh, on real estate and uh, the ability to take over uh, and foreclose and do quiet title action to take the property. And so uh, we did that for um, five or six years, ended up uh, with a portfolio of about 350 properties that mostly we ended up uh, selling to other investors for them to rehab and uh, sell retail. Uh, we were active here in Georgia as well as in Maryland and um, you know, did quite well in that space. We still have some investments there as well. Uh, but that was really my entry into, into real estate. We uh, started doing some rehabs as well. And like most real estate investors wanted to do a rental portfolio and kind of develop that uh, uh, residual cash flow as, as a goal. And about three and a half years ago, we looked very closely at the short-term rental model. And for me, it was kind of a light bulb moment uh, comparing it to a traditional rental and all the obvious uh, benefits, two and a half times monthly revenue. Uh, the properties end up being in much better shape. And um, we, we kind of shifted gears and built a scalable model to kind of go after uh, that model. And anything that didn't fit um, well with that, uh, that were traditional rentals, we sold any of those out of our portfolio and kind of focused uh, strictly on short-term rentals. So most of our properties today are uh, in the Atlanta metro area, but we're starting to expand out into Florida and uh, parts of the Caribbean as well. Now, were a lot of those regulations all, you know, put in place on the consumer side? Was that all the CFPB stuff that a lot of the Obama administration put in place? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Uh, you know, I spent many hours meeting with the CFPB and uh, uh, some of those folks that work there and were part of our industry and kind of know them well as well. So unfortunately, many man hours, not only there, but, in, you know, in D.C. with the senators and 
uh, talking about pending legislation and as well as with all the attorney generals across the United States as well. So a lot of uh, work that I put put to place, but uh, ironically, it's come in handy. So I'm, I'm involved now with a statewide association uh, in Georgia called Stroaga, the Short-Term Rental Owners Association. I'm a board member for that. And the, the, the core focus there is lobbying efforts for the short-term rental industry. So, uh, you know, a lot of that experience that I had from doing that, I'm doing that now, but with uh, all the new things that are coming into place in cities and counties and in the state of Georgia that are trying to address, um, you know, a fairly new industry here. Dive into the regulation a quick minute is because obviously we're seeing with uh, COVID now currently that a lot of states are uh, you know, postponing foreclosures or not allowing evictions. Um, I mean, how do people best manage their investments to, for the unknown or to get around the governments? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of what we do initially in the acquisitions or the due diligence stages of uh, looking at opportunities, really the first step is what's going on in that city or, or county um, regarding regulations. Uh, you know, much of what's occurred and still occurring today, uh, you know, the press obviously latches on like any industry to the, the negative stuff, right? So the parties, the uh, disturbances, there's been, you know, drive-by shootings and people are getting killed uh, in, in, in various places that are, you know, obviously stuff that's happening anyway, but it happens to be parties that are being thrown in Airbnb. So Unfortunately, the legislators latch onto that and kind of start making knee-jerk reaction uh, legislative uh, changes uh, to, you know, very, you know, minuscule amount of uh, activity that's occurring. There's over 15,000 active listings in Georgia. And, um, you know, so when these events occur, there are onesies, twosies that are happening here and there. It's, it's a combination of either a host that's um, uh, a bad apple and kind of throwing these wild parties and charging more money or... Uh, more of the time, it's a guest that's kind of doing it without the host's uh, approval and, um, you know, getting getting caught later and having to get thrown out of the property. And so it's it's an unfortunate, um, uh, un unintended consequence because we've had several cities uh, in Georgia and counties that have outright banned short-term rentals as a result of that. So as an investor, when you're kind of navigating the waters, not only in Georgia, but across, you know, wherever you're located, uh, that's really the, the starting point is what's what how is the legislative environment have ordinances been put in place already and if so what are they what are, what are the requirements uh, or is there been a ban that's been placed because you don't want to have you know you don't want to buy a property to rehab it <laughs> invest your time and energy and then find out later that it's something that uh, is not possible or it's going to be uh, some hurdles to overcome. So if someone's looking to get into a certain geographic area for Airbnb rentals, what are some steps they might take to figure out what the local laws are or if that area might be best suited for even, you know, what their plans are for in the future? Yeah, most most states uh, have, um, like we have here in Georgia, the, the Short-Term Rental Owners Association of Georgia, which is a really good starting point to become a member and understand uh, and, and be able to navigate because they'll have uh, directories and libraries of information. Uh, you know, if you don't have that type of an association as a resource in your state, then uh, pick up the phone, call the city and planning uh, department of that city and or county, uh, look at their website. Uh, you know, so most of the time, if they've already defined a short-term rental ordinance, it'll be available on their website with details about how you apply for the permit and kind of what's involved with paying the taxes and uh, what other kinds of rules and regulations you have to comply with. So that, that would be, uh, you know, the best starting point. Is there any favorite areas that you have in the uh, in Georgia? 
Well, even, you know, as, as, uh, as large as the population is, the city of Atlanta has yet to determine their ordinances. And so a lot of the um, investors that are, you know, focused on listings in, in Midtown and Downtown and some of the happening areas uh, have yet to comply with what those regulations are. So, you know, you, you know, that's where a lot of your activity is going to happen with your highest uh, premium you can charge on your nightly rate and uh, to be able to achieve your highest occupancy. But there are other parts, suburban areas of, of uh, the Atlanta metro area that do quite well as well. That, uh, for example, near the, the truest uh, baseball park that, that got built in uh, Marietta and Smyrna, uh, you, can, you can get a four or five bedroom home in the suburbs up there and do quite well. Uh, we have houses in uh, Lawrenceville, Stone Mountain, Snellville that are kind of 45 minutes or 30 minutes north of Atlanta that, that do well as well. So, you're, you know, it, it's instead of a 80 percent occupancy, you might be at 60 percent. But at a three hundred fifty dollar nightly rate, you're still going to be in, in pretty good position over what you would be able to get as a traditional rental. And why, why did you focus on Atlanta area? Well, I've, I've been in Atlanta for. 30 plus years. Um, my wife and I moved down when we started a family from New York. Uh, and so I know the, I know the Atlanta market. Well, uh, we were already doing investments here for our rehab business and, um, you know, it was a natural, uh, progression. There's, there's a lot of activity that happens here with travel and, and tourism, uh, you know, obviously pre COVID, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of areas that you can get into, um, kind of small to mid-sized multi-unit buildings that are 10 unit, 20 unit buildings that are all walkable to restaurants and bars and kind of are, are you know, fit nicely for this model. Does a lot of that traffic come from the hub, uh, you know, Delta and everything being at the Atlanta airport? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that definitely, uh, uh, you know, a big part of that comes from there and a lot of the convention business and a lot of the um, activities, sporting events that happen here um, between uh, the Masters, NASCAR and uh, the final four, things like that. So for sure. And have you just found it easier to manage and acquire new opportunities being local to the, you know, asset, or do you also believe in remote destinations? Yeah, I do. I do believe in remote destinations. Uh, you know, the, there's some additional steps you have to take to make sure, uh, that you set up your team in the beginning properly, but, uh, no matter where you're at or what you're doing, if you're doing it locally or remotely, there's still that first 30 day window, of a lot of the heavy lifting, obviously setting up the property, staging the property, uh, getting the right cleaning staff and maintenance in place. Um, you know, we have we have a property in Montego Bay, Jamaica that we manage remotely. Um, you can also get local boots on the ground uh, property managers to help out as backup as well. And so, depending on what your strategy is, um, you know, that definitely can be an option to do this remotely. And why do you think uh, customers are choosing Airbnb over hotels? Yeah. So even before COVID, I'll kind of talk pre-COVID and post-COVID, but before COVID, uh, you know, a lot of business travelers in the beginning um, wanted to have more of a local experience. You know, I, I, I know, Joe, you might have traveled uh, in your careers. I, I did a lot of travel back in the day as well. It's not, it's not a pleasant experience uh, coming in and out of a hotel every day. And um, if you, especially if you're doing it three or four times a month, and so to be able to, to latch onto a local experience and kind of make it consistent, we have a lot of repeat business for, for people that are coming in that, that are familiar with that location. And so, you know, that I think in the beginning, a lot of the business comes from that kind of the business traveler uh, wanting to have that local experience, have a more convenient space to work and operate within, uh, whether it's a backyard with a deck or a, a full kitchen or what have you. 
but beyond that, I think, um, and a reason why, you know, Airbnb, I think, has been so successful is more of this community feel. Uh, you know, the, the host actually review the guests, the guests review the host. And so there's this kind of give and take of making sure that, uh, you know, we both have a good experience. And, you know, I think a lot of the other travel platforms that have tried to, to, to kind of compete with that, uh, it's, it's more of a culture thing. It's a more of, a, uh, you know, some of the things that Airbnb has taken out of the equation for the guests and the host to deal with. They handle all the payments. They handle all of the uh, technology involved with uh, the booking and the communication with the guest and uh, the review process, and, as well as the resolution process. So there's a lot of key things that they've kind of done well. Uh, and then beyond the, the kind of the one-off business travelers, the other thing that's kind of been um, uh, attributed to their success is large groups traveling together, right? So if your um, family uh, has uh, a 12-year-old son that's in a baseball tournament, they have to go travel, uh, and they're going with other family members or other team members, you know, you can get a five-bedroom home for, you know, 250 to 300 a night for, you know, up to 10 people, potentially. Uh, versus a hotel uh, for five different hotel rooms for that same nightly rate, it's just an economic decision. So it becomes, uh, you know, a combination of convenience as well as uh, the, um, the the definite savings and dollars that that people can do by joining together. Business travelers are doing the same thing. They're tr they're getting three, four, five bedroom homes instead of getting multiple hotel rooms, and you know, for the same reason. Got it. And I, I guess what you're saying is like a di different social dynamic between the guest and the host and the host communicate a lot more with the guests and can provide different services than if you're staying at the hotel, correct? That's right. And, and obviously it's comparable to like Uber, right? Compared to a taxi experience. Everything's done on the app. Uh, it's self check-in. Uh, everything's communicated that way. There's electronic locks. There's a lot of technology that uh, most hosts uh, employ to kind of make that experience uh, that much easier. They don't, you know, most hosts don't, you know, even though it's Airbnb kind of bed and breakfast, they're not, hosts typically are not there to, to uh, welcome the guests. It's usually kind of uh, hands-off, self-check-in. Uh, you know, there are some hosts that uh, actually rent out individual rooms as well as individual couches. That's how really Airbnb started with uh, the founders in San Francisco uh, with an air mattress and uh, a sleep a sofa for a conference, conference that got overbooked in town. And the first two Airbnb customers uh, were business travelers coming to that conference and they just put them up on an air mattress and their sleep a sofa. So there are still listings on Airbnb today that you can actually rent a couch um, for 20 bucks a night. Um, so it's kind of, it fits the whole gamut, but um, you know, I think no matter what you do uh, in this space, you're always going to get, you know, 80 to 90% of your revenue and bookings through Airbnb. And there's a reason for that. You know, they've, they've kind of figured out some of the pieces that make, the, make this successful. Got it. And what are the type of guests are you seeing that are staying using Airbnb over a hotel? Right. So, um, you know, the post COVID environment, obviously with uh, a lot of the conferences and events that have been canceled and international travel kind of virtually shut down. Uh, most of the travelers that we are experiencing now are folks that are, you know, from the uh, quarantine been pent up and are traveling within a few hours of where they live. Uh, and basically wanting a change of environment, uh, and, you know, 
our average booking before COVID was three to five days. Now it's more like 10 to 15 days. Um, so people are kind of staying in place more and kind of, you know, just, just, just getting uh, a change of, of, of environment. So, um, and then there's, then there's the things that are happening in life anyway. You know, people are relocating to Atlanta uh, with their company. So they need some temporary housing. Uh, the tree fell on the house. Um, and so insurance companies are going to come in and, you know, get the house repaired, but they need somewhere to stay while the house is getting fixed. So there's a lot of the stuff that happens anyway, um, that we are, you know, those types of guests are coming in. And of course, you know, the essential workers, medical professionals, uh, you know, throughout this that have wanted to protect their family, if they're living, living with their elderly um, parents or with kids, and they want to be able to come to from work, we have, we had quite a lot of bookings that were just that, you know, they live in the area, but they want to have an option to be able to um, you know, be away from the family to protect them during, during this time. So you have all these locations. How did you underwrite and choose them? You know, how would one get started in determining what type of property is best suited for an Airbnb or, you know, how are they going to, you know, put it in a financial model? Right. So, you know, I, I think when you're starting with a clean slate, the best way to approach it, which is what we did in the beginning. And I say we, it's, it's a family business. My wife, Marva, is very much involved. Uh, she does all of our staging and manages our cleaning operations. So she does a lot of the heavy lifting uh, in this business. But uh, when we first um, put this together with a clean slate, I think the best thing to do is don't try to reinvent the wheel. Uh, if you look at a heat map, uh, which is what we did as far as where is all that short terminal activity occurring the most, uh, you know, for the Atlanta area, and it's not much different in some of the other major cities, um, you know, the downtown areas, the midtown areas, uh, where, like I talked about earlier, it's very easy to, you know, come from the airport in an Uber, you can walk three blocks to dinner, you can walk another two blocks to go to hang out to different bars or clubs, and you can, you know, go shopping in the shopping mall a few, few miles from there. So that, you know, walkable quality, I think, is a good starting point. If you don't have uh, any other reason to go somewhere, I think, you know, that why reinvent the wheel, you start off with the highest potential in nightly premium rate, as well as your highest potential in occupancy. And which is kind of what you look at in the short term rental space. It's a little different from long term rentals, uh, because you've got those two moving pieces. So um, when you're doing your analytics, that's kind of the starting point is what's your average nightly rate you're going to be able to command along with your occupancy for the month, um, you know, and it is, there is some seasonality involved uh, as well. So you're, you're, both of those numbers are going to change depending on what month it is. And so do people, would people go and check Airbnb and see what's being posted in the air, in the area in the nightly rental or use a service like AirDNA, you know, how would they determine what the vacancy, you know, is for the year and kind of what the nightly rate is per bedroom? Yeah, I would use a combination of uh, there's AirDNA, there's Air, you know, Airbnb's platform as well uh, that you can do searches on. Um, so, you know, we do a combination of a couple of those different tools to, to kind of uh, do some analysis. There, there are some flaws with AirDNA because it is uh, kind of data driven. And so you have to kind of sanity check. Like, for example, when we have the Super Bowl here uh, and the pricing got ramped up for a lot of listings that were just there just for the Super Bowl, skews the numbers greatly um, from a seasonality standpoint, even a year later, you're still dealing with that, that flaw. So there's some things you have to kind of watch out for uh, because it is very data driven. You have to kind of, you know, put another set of eyes on it and kind of sanity check what you're looking at. Well, as they say, I think know your market in real estate, right? 
Exactly. Not, not much different here. <laughs> so what are some of the best strategies you've implemented into your Airbnb? Well, in terms of, um, you know, best strategies for uh, automation and, you know, we've got uh, virtual assistants that do a lot of our guest communications. So 90% of the time uh, that guest interaction is being done by a virtual assistant that's kind of getting direction directly from, from our team. And so that's what helps you be scalable, uh, you know, to be able to um, have a lot of that information handled. Uh, you know, we're at 23 listings now. We're probably going to uh, add another um, 10 uh, by the end of the year. And so it's all about scalability and putting things in place to kind of help you scale. And so I think that's one of the, the key components uh, to having this be successful. You don't want to just kind of look at it as a one-off. It's uh, all the decisioning and, and the systems that get put in place have to have the end game being scalable, you know? So we have properties that we own. We have properties that we rent through rental arbitrage. And then we also have properties that we manage for other investors. Got it. And are, is everything handled in-house? Or are you guys using any other third-party vendors for management? Um, so for management, you know, we have the, a couple of different platforms. There's, there's what's called channel managers that help, uh, managing the calendar to make sure that you're not doing double bookings for, you know, cause we do have some of our listings on home away and VRBO and some of the other platforms just to kind of fill in the calendar to maximize occupancy. So, um, you know, we, we employ the channel manager and then there's a short list of other technologies that we utilize that help manage the process. Uh, you know, I mentioned locks earlier, you know, we all, we also do, um, kind of smart home technology with cameras, thermostats, uh, to help manage uh, the, the, the process. And then we use uh, noise detection devices. It doesn't record, but it, it measures the level of sound. And then it helps you be proactive with uh, the neighbors. A big part of this business is not only making sure the guest has a good experience, but making sure your neighbors has a good experience as well. So you don't have conflicts there. And so rather than waiting for somebody to come in at you know two o'clock in the morning and start playing loud music, uh, you can set levels on this noise detection device at various levels so that you can tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, it's one o'clock in the morning, just double checking. There's a little bit of noise coming from there. Is everything okay? Uh, rather than waiting for the, the, the neighbor to hear something and kind of call, you know, and complain about it. And so the, those are some of the, the technology tools that we, that we put in place. Does that just send them like a friendly text message or... Typically, uh, yeah, or it'll be a phone call depending on how extreme it, <laughs> how extreme it is uh, that they're doing. You know, one, one of the, the benefits um, that we talked about earlier with, with doing this with multifamily is also the close proximity, obviously, the, to the neighbors. So you have to kind of be conscious of that um, when you have guests coming in and going. And you mean multifamily, do you mean you guys own the uh, whole building or are you guys leasing some of the units? So we have, um, when we first started, we leased a couple of, we probably had three different units in an eight unit building, um, which, which we still have today. Uh, but there's also... Um, opportunities that we're looking at that are 30 unit buildings and taking out, you know, an entire floor of 10 units, um, preferably the lower floor. And so there's some strategies that you can do there that uh, partner with the developer uh, of the building where, you know, in, especially in this environment with unemployment being so high and the uncertainty with being able to place tenants, uh, you know, we're engaging with a lot of those new developments or, or properties that are being rehabbed to kind of help them kind of maximize occupancy from day one so that it's not uh, an uncertainty. Is that what you meant by rent arbitrage? Right. So you can do, um, 
rental arbitrage where you can engage with a landlord. It doesn't have to be a lot, a large number of units. You can do, you know, just one lease. Um, and to give you an example, so we have uh, a one bedroom apartment in a, in a, a unit building in Pont City Market, Midtown Atlanta, near Virginia Highlands, pretty hot area. And so the market lease on that's about 1400 a month uh, for a 12 month lease. And so, um, you know, we offer the, the landlord a little bit of a premium above that after the first three months. So we're paying about 1600 a month. And then after, you know, your expenses, your utilities, uh, internet, uh, you're probably at, you know, 2000 a month all in on your cost. And so we do about 32 to 3,600 gross um, on that property per month. And so the rental arbitrage play is your arbitrage between the cost and what your gross revenue is going to be on a monthly basis. And in most cases, you're going to be, you know, conservatively in that six to 700 range and more aggressively around 1400 uh, per unit uh, per month as a net, a net back. So if you compare that to going after a traditional rental, you know, after your debt service, a lot of us are happy to have four or $500 uh, as net cash flow. And so you, again, you're looking at two to three times that amount on a rental arbitrage uh, situation. You're, you're not uh, investing in, in acquiring the property or rehabbing the property. Uh, you're basically coming in and tapping into that cash flow. And so it, it's a, it's a good way to get introduced to this business uh, quickly uh, and, and start learning, uh, how to put things together and, and along with the system and process. So it's a good way to kind of get started with it. And then, you know, I do believe obviously in diversification. So you do want to have some properties that you own, um, that you're able to, you know, kind of uh, build that equity up as well. Now are all yours, uh, on the rental arbitrage, are they all lease monthly or yearly? And do you have any that are more on a profit share with the landlord? So th there are some hosts that, that do uh, kind of a profit share model, um, which definitely, you know, works. Um, most of our, our relationships are one of the other. We either do a, a straight lease uh, as a master lease for a, typically a 12-month term with renewable options, uh, or we do uh, kind of a management for a management fee versus a profit share. So, um, you know, our, our management fee is 20%. Uh, for most investors. And so for 20%, we'll come in and uh, manage the entire process from start to finish. And 80% um, of after expenses would go to the, uh, the owner of the property uh, or, or the investor. Um, there, there are some strategic things you can do that, you know, like you described with the kind of profit share model uh, where you can, you know, uh, potentially co-invest because there are some startup costs with getting property staged and, um, you know, do it more as a 50% uh, split on profits uh, with the owner, but you're still kind of doing all the work for it. Now at this time for everybody that's listening, I'm sure they're thinking, okay, well, what happens when you guarantee or lease up all these properties on these year leases? And then you have a thing like COVID where everyone stops traveling, you know, do you have any clauses there or what is your risk? Yeah, no, that's definitely a risk. And, you know, we've pre COVID we had, um, you know, a, a line item in the lease that gave us an out if there were any legislative or ordinance changes uh, that prevented us from doing short-term rentals. It's very clear in the lease when you do these uh, that the landlord owner approves of you doing short-term rentals and gives you the ability to put electronic locks and do a few other things. Um, we usually get additional insurance coverage uh, for liability to cover the landlord and the owner as well as us. But, um, 
we, we also do have additional language that we're using now. If, uh, if there's a shutdown from COVID that we have the option to either get out of the lease or convert it over into more of a long-term corporate lease. And so that it kind of gives you some protection there. Uh, you know, for obvious, the obvious things, if, if the shutdown happens again, uh, that we've got the ability to kind of have some options versus um, getting, getting locked into it. Got it. Got it. And so on, how do you maximize the income? You know, what are some things that you're doing to the units that allow you to get the highest nightly rental rate? Yeah, you, you always want to create um, what's called Instagrammable pictures, right? So if you walk into that listing and uh, it's something that immediately the first thing they want to do is take pictures and, you know, post it on Instagram or show their friends. This is where I'm staying. Check it out. Uh, so you, you always want to create those unique type of experiences there. You know, there are some Airbnb hosts that are uh, not really paying a whole lot of attention to that. They're throwing a lot of IKEA furniture, not nothing against IKEA. We do have units we use IKEA furniture in, but you know, they're just kind of bland and, and don't have that, um, that pop. And so uh, because this is, um, you know, a, it's a hospitality business. It's all about providing an experience for that consumer and that guest. And so when you first set up a property, it's, you want to have some unique, something unique going on and then have the ability to have, you know, it's not much unlike uh, uh, when you're trying to sell real estate, you want to have that listing picture. That's going to be kind of your money shot, right. That says, uh, I want to go stay there. That's a really cool environment. And so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a key part of the business because they're making 90% of their decisioning on whether or not they want to book that place, mostly on price, but as well as on appearance. So they're looking at those listing pictures to, to make those decisions um, on the platform. So those money shots that they post on Instagram is basically free marketing for your unit. Exactly. Got it. And so when you guys also do the units where you rent or lease the unit, are you leasing them already furnished or are you guys looking for vacant ones and furnishing them? Most of the time we're doing it from scratch with a vacant empty uh, property. Uh, we do have other um, properties that we've acquired that are furnished, um, which is a kind of a, a good added plus. Uh, but most of the time we're doing it from, uh, from with a clean slate, with an empty property to get it staged and get it set up and ready to list. Got it. So what is the average, you know, CapEx or cost that you put into the initial unit to get it prepared to rent? So on a one or a two bedroom, you're typically in the four to 5,000 range on uh, larger properties, four or five bedrooms, you can very easily be in the 12 to 15,000 range. And wow. we, you know, yeah, we, we try to do a lot of um, discounted quality furniture. Um, we used to do a lot of estate sales and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's not something you want to skimp on. You don't want to just say, well, uh, here's a one bedroom apartment. Let me just throw some stuff in it and see what happens. You want to run it like a business. And so, you know, everything has to be thought about in terms of the types of things you're putting in. A big part of your budget is going to be uh, towels and linens. You know, that's, you know, again, to run this like a business, we're not, uh, we're not actually in the units doing laundry. We have a laundry service that does. So you have to have an ample supply of inventory to be able to have the cleaners come in equipped with enough to do the turn and, uh, you know, be able to have backups and things like that. So a big part of the upfront expense is going to be your, your towels and linens as well. It's very important today to be customer centric and get the best reviews because usually that pushes you up the algorithm. So what are some other things beyond the Instagram photos that you implement? Yeah, so we, we touched base on guest communication uh, a little bit. You know, it's 
90% of that is being responsive. So a lot of our reviews, we get complimented on how responsive we are, or, you know, it could be the middle of the night and we have um, a guest that has an inquiry and we're, we're there to respond to it. So, um, you know, to have that, that ability to be very responsive is a, is a key part of that guest experience and a key part to getting good reviews. Um, same thing when something goes wrong. So, you know, it's, it's a bit different when you have an AC go out in the middle of July and the person just checked in, even though it's a Saturday night, I can't, and they're going to be there for four nights. I can't tell them, Oh, well, the AC company is not going to come until Monday or Tuesday. Um, you're just going to have to know that you've got to be there within an hour or two. And so again, it goes back to the responsiveness. So we've got a, um, a network of handymen and maintenance team that are on call. And so even if they don't get it hundred percent fixed, the fact that you showed up within an hour to, to try to address it, I think goes a long way. Um, and so it needs to be a part of your process to make sure that you've got that, uh, not only with the communication, but also being able to, you know, pull the trigger when you need to get out there. And I take it that being in the same location or the same area, that's much easier to respond faster. It is, it is. But we, I mean, a lot of our properties are kind of spread out um, all over the Atlanta metro area. Uh, if you drove from one to the other, it's probably, you know, they're all within a uh, 45 minute radius though. Um, and we do have like concentrations of a lot of them are in like East Atlanta or uh, in Midtown, for example, where, you know, you can hit three or four of them at the same time. Now with all the remote work talk going around, <laughs> what do you think is happening? Do you think a lot more remote workers will travel more and use Airbnbs or, you know, are they all getting a camper and going camping? What do you, what are you seeing? What do you think? No, we, we are already seeing a lot of that in terms of because they're already at home working and, you know, having their daily weekly activities occur just fine. Uh, again, because of wanting a change of environment, uh, you know, we've had people that have done just that. They're, they're not coming into town for a particular reason other than uh, they want a nice location that's got kind of a, a, a work area um, that they can continue doing their work remotely, but just have a different environment to do it in. So um, definitely I see that increasing quite a bit. Uh, you know, one of the other major factors, which is kind of obvious, but um, is definitely a positive for the short-term rental space is, you know, the inability of hotels to keep up with the social distancing requirements, the cleaning requirements in the common areas uh, that folks go. So people are going to be, you know, already starting to be a lot more comfortable dealing with uh, an independent uh, property that's been uh, cleaned, um, disinfected and prepared for their, their stay. And in, in a lot of cases, we put gaps in the calendar so we don't have somebody checking out the same day or within a few days. So there's things we're putting in place to kind of make that uh, guest a little bit more comfortable with that environment. Self-check-in, like we've talked about before. So there's all those those attributes that come into play that the, we, we, were, we already all had logical reasons to use Airbnb and short-term rentals before COVID, but now there's additional major health risk reasons that are making it, uh, you know, even more of a, of a viable option. And, uh, you know, we'll do nothing but increase, um, you know, occupancy and, and the ability for, for those properties to do well. What are some of the biggest uh, problems you've seen guests have at any Airbnb property and kind of how did, how is that resolved? Right. So, I mean, the, there's the, the same things you put up with as on long-term rentals is the same thing you'll be putting up with on short-term rentals. So that you've got to really, be able to address those issues, whether it's um, a toilet that's backed up or a septic system that's backed up or uh, the HVAC is not working. Um, 
you know, uh, doorknobs are breaking. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that you just have to be very uh, reactive to to be able to fix um, when they come up. And so, uh, you know, the, the maintenance is a, and the upkeep is a big part of it. Um, you know, after people check out, we do a full property inspection, uh, not only to, to prevent uh, the next guest, but we want to make sure if there was something that was broken on that while that guest was there, that we hold them accountable for those expenses. Uh, for whether it's any property damage to any of the, the furniture or items or the property itself. And so, you know, the cleaners have a part of their to-do list is to do a full property inspection uh, as well uh, in between each guest stay. So that, that's another reason why, you know, the properties end up being in much better shape. They're professionally cleaned uh, and we're constantly making sure that it's uh, up to par. Got it. And I guess six months ago, there was, you know, Airbnb was, a. it seemed like every time you turn around, someone's adding an Airbnb to the website, right? And maybe now it's pulled back some. How do you gauge the supply and demand and how many units a geographic area can handle? So, you know, I think um, that's a that's a really good question because even in the same building, you can you can get oversaturated. You know, we've got um, we've got two duplexes that are next door to each other in very near to the airport, and they're they're all four one bedroom apartments, as an example. And um, at a certain point, you would you would expect that you would just you know you you one or one or two of those are going to sit empty at some point. Um, the the difficult part is determining what when that occurs, right? So I think um, you can start to monitor it and have signals of when you're going to start to see that oversaturation. But for all the reasons I've just mentioned, I think it would be very difficult for us to kind of hit that ceiling um, at this point. Uh, you know, I think if you think about the, the volume of properties that are available uh, in, in the investor market that only have 14 to 15,000 in the state of Georgia that are listed as short-term rentals, that's a drop in the bucket in terms of the availability. If you think about all the traditional rentals, all the hedge funds that own all those properties that are doing rental properties that uh, are not doing short-term rentals. Um, you know, so the supply, the, the definite ability to have the supply there is there now the demand side is is where the questions come in right in terms of um, how are those guests going to keep coming and if that's going to continue to grow um, and so that's just you know something you have to kind of keep an eye on and and uh, be able to to monitor as it comes up I don't know that there's an easy way to predict that do you think uh, property owners will have the flexibility to go from Airbnb model to monthly rental model if there's too much supply and maybe if they're then that if there's more demand, then they can switch back from monthly to, to nightly. Absolutely, and and we've we've already done some of that. Uh, a lot of of the hosts that that uh, we know here in Atlanta, we have a couple of meetup groups. We've been doing some webinars and just kind of seeing what folks are doing. Uh, you know, obviously back in March and April when all those cancellations occurred, a lot of people shifted gears and put in longer term tenants, um, or shifted more over to a kind of a corporate housing uh, furnished rental, two, three, four, or five month uh, type rental. So. So yes, you can absolutely have that as as a backstop, and uh, you know ultimately be able to, you know, get all the furniture out of there and just go to a regular twelve month lease as well. And that that option always exists uh, as a fallback too. Typically, all the units I've seen on the site have been owned by you know private investors, you know, and typically private investors enter a market first, and then behind them follows institutional money. Do you see any bigger players coming into the space, and what are they doing? Yeah, so you know, there's probably four or five different players, um, Sonder, Lyric, uh, that 
are getting institutional money and kind of growing this business. Um, the rental arbitrage model, I think it makes a lot of sense um, because it's so scalable and uh, you can move quickly. And so, you know, those, those folks have put several hundred million to work uh, over the last couple of years in markets like Atlanta, um, Houston, Texas, and some of the other uh, areas. They, they, like everyone else, um, got hit hard with the cancellations. Uh, and in some cases had to shut some of those down because they were over leveraged. But, um, you know, I think that that model is still going to exist. I mean, there's there's hundred unit buildings that the entire building is just short term rentals. Um, you know, I, I do believe, though, at some point you become a hotel. Right. So you lose that that local experience that made this thing so successful. So I think there's a balancing act that you still have to play uh, in order to to have that longevity. Is there any brands that stick out maybe? that five to 10 years from now will be known as like this certain type of Airbnb model that when you go to each city, you're going to get the same quality of stay. Possibly, you know, there's stay Alfred is one. Uh, there's a couple in Chicago that are, that are kind of more midsize or smaller that, that have some good potential because they're, they're focused on what I talked about earlier, that uniqueness, right? So they're creating these unique boutique experiences that um, are, are Instagrammable pictures that will, that, that kind of keep people coming back. And so, you know, I think for, for the, for the larger players or mid-sized players that are doing that and, and implementing that as a part of their process, it kind of differentiates them from, from all the rest and um, you know, makes it interesting. So there's room for everybody to play. I, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's good. I appreciate that. And so my last question here today is what is the biggest takeaway you have implemented in your life as increased your net worth? Yeah, I would say, um, the biggest attribute or biggest thing that I've, that I've done that's kind of increasing net worth is the ability to uh, take a self-directed Roth IRA and invest in real estate and be able to um, make those returns and continue to push it forward. And you're, you're benefiting in two ways, the ability to kind of offset your tax consequence uh, as well as maximize your your potential. So a, a lot of our tax lien investing in the beginning was done through self-directed IRAs uh, as an acceptable investment strategy. And so in Georgia, for example, um, you can your your one of two exits is going to be your 20% penalty after a year. Uh, you get that back as an investor, um, or you seize the property and, and and sell the property out. So you know so when you implement a certain niche real estate pro, um, prospect in um, self-directed IRAs, I think it's a, it's a nice way to kind of escalate uh, your equity and, and growth. Uh, that was great. And if people want to get a hold of you, have any questions, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, sure. You can reach out to me. Um, we actually do have a, a Facebook page called Diamond Edge Short-Term Rental. And we also have a Facebook group called Atlanta Short-Term Rental Investors. And so we do a lot of webinars and um, back, uh, you know, we've done workshops and things like that. A lot of that is announced on those two Facebook uh, outlets. Um, or if, if there's a property or a market, you want to get some help with uh, looking at marketing, you can also text me your information and we can get in touch. Uh, my number is 770-540-7638. Well, I appreciate being on today and glad that you reinforced that Airbnb is here for the long term. You know, a few months ago, uh, everyone thought it was maybe dead for the moment, <laughs> but it seems like uh, it didn't take 
too much longer for people to be back traveling again. So uh, all the information you provided today was really great content and we appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing you again the next time. Thanks. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.